Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen from the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Sean. How's it going? And Guy Dunlap of Guys Woodshop. Hey. How's it going? Just awesome. Living the dream. Well, did you know that this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops, right or wrong? Considering that it's a 53rd episode, I know that by now, but go ahead, Sean. Oh, I'm not, I'm not telling you all that. I'm, you all obviously do know. I'm telling everybody else. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. We want to welcome the new patron, Paul Gottlieb. Please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. But with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what's your first question? All right. My first question is from Rick, and he says, Hey, guys, I really loved your podcast. I appreciate your different perspectives on things. I recently bought some CA glue and activator. As I was reading the label, it said that it needed to be kept in a cool place and even suggested storing it in the fridge. Then I remembered that I heard that PVA glue can go bad if left in a place that is also hot. Where do you guys store your adhesives? I store my adhesives in my garage, and my garage is not while it is climate controlled, it's not like climate controlled all the time. And I have ha- actually had PVA glue go bad on me uh, one time. It, it was left in the garage for way too long. And uh, after I had Much opened way it. way too long. More specificity. So yeah. I got, I got to use the specificity word again. Yeah. This is like a couple years, two, three years. Um, okay. I, didn't, I didn't actually, uh, I, I, I know there is a stock number on it uh, on a lot of the tight bond bottles so you're able to tell by the time i realized that that was um that was a thing i had already tossed it it had gotten all clumpy and whatnot now the ca glue i have heard that i think it's a 2p10 by fast cap that they recommend like storing in the fridge i don't do that I, i keep it in my in my shop, I keep it in a drawer in the shop and it seems to have kept, uh, for a couple of years, I've got one of the big bottles and then I refill like a smaller bottle. The other, only other glue that I can think of, two other glues that I can think of that, uh, I've used are hide glue. Now I've got some of that old brown glue and I keep that in the refrigerator primarily because I think, um, I believe it'll actually get moldy if left out in a hot shop for too long. And then also, um, powdered, uh, urea resin glue, and I keep that inside as well. I keep that in, in my house in a, in uh, my utility room. And the reason is because I think humidity, if there's uh, a lot of humidity in the air, which in Alabama there is a lot of humidity, can actually activate the glue um, and cause it to uh, to harden before you... Turn into a big clump. Yeah, yeah. But how about you guys? Do you guys... Uh, um, do you guys store it in your shop? Do you guys like store any specific glues in the refrigerator? Have you had glues fail on you because you kept it for too long? I've had high glue um, fail on me for keeping it too long. Uh, mm-hmm. And like you're saying, you I, I bought it. It was the tight bond, but I bought it from Amazon. And you, and it's, it's a crapshoot when you buy from Amazon some of that stuff that you don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf. And I remember, uh, I remember when that happened. You were talking about it. You're like, is it supposed to be like this? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, um, but I've had hide glue go bad from setting too long. Mm-hmm. That plus probably just a bad lot from uh, Amazon. Uh, I do not store mine in the refrigerator. I keep it in the garage. Uh, I keep my garage 
sort of cool throughout the summer and the hot days because I've normally mm-hmm. just keep the mini split running. Um, and plus it's uh, insulated, so it doesn't get super crazy hot when it's not when the mini split's not turned on. In the winter time, I will leave everything out there because it does not get anywhere near freezing in the winter. But yep. if it were, obviously I'd bring those inside. But I pretty much just leave it in a in a cabinet in the garage year round. Mm, mm. So you have a dedicated cabinet, like a like a metal cabinet for those types of things, like acetone and thing, other cleaning fluids and whatnot that you keep in there. Nope, just wooden cabinets on the wall. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. I didn't know if you had like a you know like a fireproof cabinet. No, like no. PVA glue spontaneously combusts or something or no, no. I was talking about. Uh, other things that you might keep in like a fireproof cabinet that's also you know Some a little chemicals. bit uh, away yeah and away from i'm just busting your chops we i, I dig oh. it oh okay. so <laughs> i don't know just answering your I, question I, I, i'm like sean i have a i have a, a garage i don't have like a mini split or anything like that but my mechanicals are in the garage so i've got uh you know obviously the the, the furnace and the coils for the air conditioner and I broke code and I cut a hole in the plenum mm-hmm. with the vent. So I get heat and air conditioning from it in there. And my garage is insulated. I put a new garage door on it. I think it's been about a year, maybe a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. In the wintertime, it never gets below 57, 58 degrees. In the summertime, it really never gets any hotter than maybe 75 to 80 degrees in there. I'm bad. like, Sean, I just keep it in my cabinets. Yeah. And I don't have a fireproof cabinet or anything. Hmm. Um, I've never had any problem with any glue going bad, with the exception of hide glue, of course. Um, I do have some of the, the uh, old brown glue from Patrick Edwards, and that does go in my refrigerator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's it everything else just stays out i've had ca glue gosh you know the same bottle for two or three years and oh, haven't yeah. had any issues with it mm-hmm. i have the same thing with with uh, pva glue mm-hmm. I, i've had stuff you know for a couple of years and i write the date on it that i buy it Mm-hmm. Because that code that Titebon puts on it, it doesn't mean anything. You have to go to their website to, to decode it. Mm-hmm. And I just put what date I buy it on there. Mm. And I typically buy it from Home Depot or Lowe's because I know it's going to have a high, it has a very high uh, turnover there. Sure, sure, sure. What about your uh, powdered urea resin? I just you, keep it in the shop. You keep it in the shop as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. See, uh, I'm afraid to keep it in the shop just because it just gets so humid in Alabama. And mm-hmm. I, I just sort of fear that, uh, you know, if you get any moisture in there, it's just going to be, I'll come out and it'll just be a big, huge clump. But all right. Well, cool. I think, uh, I think that pretty much answers the question in terms of how, <laughs> what we expect in terms of longevity of glues. And yeah. it sounds like we really don't do much other than maybe the old Brown glue, keeping that in their fridge, but no CA glue. I keep that out there too. It doesn't get hot enough, but all right, uh, guy, I think you've got the next question. My question is from ML bet woodworks. And he says, greetings, love the show. How do each of you feel about handheld belt sanders three by 21 inch? For example, some fine, fine woodworkers swear by them for projects such as tabletops, 
while others won't even touch them for the hatred of the uneven marks they can leave behind and relegate them to rough construction only. From my experience, I'm in the latter category, although I admit I may not be using the machine properly, correct technique, etc. Are there any special tips or insider knowledge on how to avoid the dips valleys they leave behind? Or should I go ahead and list my belt sander on Craigslist and be done with it? Well, I use a belt sander quite often, but I've also used a belt sander for over 40 some years. At one time, way back in the day, we had to uh, do everything with a belt sander or the only thing other than a belt sander. There wasn't, there was, you know, no random orbit sanders. There was none of that crap. You had like a quarter sheet and half sheet sanders that just like vibrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty much it. Either that or use, you know, use your just paper and a sanding block. So belt sanders were used quite a bit. And because of that, I, I have a lot of experience using it. If there's any special tips or insider knowledge, I'm not aware of it on how to avoid the dips and valleys they leave behind. You have to keep it. The only thing I can tell you is, is you have to keep the sander moving. If you leave it in one spot, that platen underneath the, uh, the moving belt will dig into the wood and give you a nice big dip or divot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use mine as much anymore as I used to, but I still have one. Mm-hmm. And I do break it out from time to time. Uh, what, do you guys use one, Sean? Do you use one? I have never used a belt sander. I don't own one. I have never picked one up, never used one. I started out with a random orbit and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a 3 by 21 belt sander. It's a Makita. I also have a half sheet or quarter sheet. I can't remember. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of the vibrating sanders that you stick the, uh, the cut yeah. sheet into the, uh, that's a Makita as well. Yeah, and, yep. Yep. I don't, I don't, I haven't used them often. The few times that I've used them is when my wife had wanted to refinish some, uh, end tables. And also when we had to repaint a, an interior door, um, I used it to strip that because it can remove material pretty fast. But just like you said, guy, I mean, I don't know of any real tips other than you got to move it. You can't just let it sit there and, you know, you're not pushing down with, you know, all your might. You're kind of allowing the weight of the sander to do the job, you know, and just Uh, make sure you move. Another place I I tend to use them Mm -hmm. quite, use it quite a bit. And I've never, I don't think I've ever shown it on video because I didn't want to deal with all the crap I would get from people. Mm -hmm. Drawers. Mm. I don't have a, I mean, if I was in a production shop and I was doing like tons and tons of solid wood drawers, I would have a, uh, uh, one of those horizontal belt sanders Yeah, to push drawers up against to shave a little bit off here and a little bit off there. Yep. But I use it quite, I use them quite a bit for drawers. When I show it on video, it's, I'm always, I've got to use my hand plane cause that's the accepted way. <laughs> so, but, um, I use it. I use it quite a bit for that. Christian Bexford uses uh, 
a belt sander for drawers, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. He sands down his uh, well. He sands down his uh, uh, dovetails that way. Yep. yep. Um, there's a lot of people that use it for that. Yeah, and it's it's really handy. I mean, I had an old craftsman that had to be again, you know, thirty some years old, and it died. And uh, I bought a, a Triton. It's actually a very nice sander. It's, it's big and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, Belt sander, really, right? Yeah. 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 I really like it. Um, but again, it's one of those tools where you really have to give it time and you have to get used to it. But once you get used to it, and if you're doing a lot of different things that require you to take off a lot of material very fast, it's a good tool to have in the, in the arsenal. In other words, Mr. ML Bet Woodworks or Mulbet Woodworks, I would not put it on Craigslist and be done with it. I would keep it. Yep, I would keep it too. Yeah. So I don't know who's got the next question. Sean? I, I do. Sean, yeah. Yep. All right, this is from Casey. And this is a loaded question, but I took it, um, you know. Just for great controversy? It, yeah, well, no. Well, yeah, actually, I believe, I believe that's going to be the case. <laughs> all right. That's from Casey. Hey guys, your podcast is great. Thanks for all your help. Uh, I'm in the process of building a detached garage. Part of it's going to be a shop area. It's not going to be a big shop by any means. It's a 15 by 25. I'm planning on making some cabinets and furniture for our future house, kitchen cabinets, vanities, table, bars, uh, bar areas. Currently I borrow other friends and family members equipment when doing projects due to my limited space in town. My question is, what equipment do you recommend for my shop? I realize that you need more information, so I'll explain what I have and a budget. I'm looking to spend around $2,000 I don't have many tools, but here's what I have. A 10-inch compound sliding miter saw from Harbor Freight that cuts a little off. Uh, cordless That's drill. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Circular saw with a clamp edge guide, jigsaw, and a quarter-inch trim router. These tools got me by for small projects, but I think it's time to upgrade. And the way that I'm going to do this is I'm not going to say all 50,000 tools that you could potentially buy. I'm going to say one tool and then pass it off to uh, to you guys. That way you all can can have something. I won't steal all the you're, all the you're, thunder. You're very you're a very thoughtful young man, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've done a few of these podcasts, so I know I know the routine. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. With a budget like that and needing to fill up a shop just enough to get started, and and this is going to be a shocker. Are you ready? I'm going to pick a table saw. Mm -hmm. Now, you can buy a used and perhaps end up with enough extra money to buy a few more tools, but I'm going to leave that for the other two fellows. Uh, I would buy a used cabinet saw that you can pick up on Craigslist, and I think uh, if you're wanting to build kitchen cabinets, it's hard to beat a table saw ripping, cross-cutting for accuracy and for tasks like cutting grooves and tenons with a dado stack. Now, you mentioned that you do have a circular saw with a clamping edge guide, so that may assist in breaking down sheet supply, but I'm guessing it's probably going to limit you to only cross-cutting, um, depending on how long the clamping edge guide is. So that's going to leave you a little bit of money left over. I think if you buy a good used uh, table saw, I bet you could probably get one for 700 bucks, and that's going to leave you a little bit of money to buy a few other accessories. Uh, that would be my pick for your first uh, tool. And uh, Hui, what would his second tool be, in your opinion? I would say go with like a small six-inch joiner, you know, to do some of the smaller projects that he's talking about. I mean, obviously, he did talk about some bigger projects, which... 
Obviously, a six-inch joiner might be problematic in that sense, but I think a six-inch joiner might be a good idea. My buddy uh, who came by the shop this weekend, he just picked up a Craftsman six-inch joiner for 50 bucks. Um, nice. You know, yeah, needs a little bit of work. You know, got, has a little bit of uh, um, was oxidation on the tables, but like great. Mo- I mean, the motor itself, you can't get for 50 bucks. Okay, it's a one horsepower motor. Um, so I, th- I think he definitely could find a six inch joiner pretty easily and um, and save you a lot of money in that respect and possibly get something else. What do you think, guy? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good suggestion. We, you know, you've got to be able to mill wood and uh the, the the next obvious thing in this line of thought is a planer. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend just a, I mean a, a lunchbox planer. I used one for you know a long time. Yep, um, and it was fine. It was noisy as hell. Yeah, but it was fine. You don't need something like the four post DeWalt, which is a very nice machine, but it's also pretty expensive and. To, to get started, you know, there's a lot of very, very good lunchbox planers out there that are, and you could probably find some on Craigslist. You know, Craigslist is your friend right now Yep. with that kind of budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I know like I sold my old DeWalt uh, lunchbox, I think for like $250. Wow. That's a yeah. steal. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um there's stuff like that out there and uh, that would be my right. Cause that would, you know, with the, with the table saw that Sean recommended and then a joiner and a planer. Now you can cut and mill wood. So if you're making cabinets and you're doing face frames, you're doing doors, you're doing drawer fronts, things like that. You can mm-hmm. get all that done. And you've got the circular saw with the, with the, the, you know, the homemade guide already to break down your plywood. Yep. I don't think a track saw is in your budget, but that will work what you've got there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think all that stuff would be a really, really good start. Let's go one more round. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you said that. I was going to recommend that because I'll, I'll start it off since I started in the last one. And because I got something, I don't want you all to steal. Um, <laughs> I would recommend a, if next round, and just because I know what he plans on making, um, I would recommend some sort of router table, whether that be a small one, a portable one or whatever. Yeah. And that's because if you're making cabinets, you may want to do some sort of profile and run some larger bits. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation would be a router table with the router, whether that be a bench top router table or whatever, that would be my recommendation. I would just buy a big recommend a big router motor, you know, like a, something that has some good horsepower, like, like the, you know, I'm going to say Triton again, but they have one that's relatively inexpensive. I think mm-hmm. it's like 250 mm-hmm. and it's like a three and a quarter horse and it's a plunge rider and you can mount that thing underneath just a piece of plywood. Yep. Yep. I think also, uh, and I'm, this is not a plug for Triton, but I think they do have a, a top that you can attach that to. Am I right? I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, they, they probably do, but it's, you know, again, it's the budget thing we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. That's a really sure. good suggestion, Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the router table. I think maybe if you're doing um, lots of cabinets, maybe drilling lots of um, holes for hinges and things like that, uh, you know, drill press. There are a lot of drill presses that are out on the used market, Facebook marketplace and Craigslist. I see them all the time. 
and they go for pretty cheap. You know, a lot of them are less than a hundred bucks for, for like a decent bench top drill press. In fact, actually, actually mine is a still a bench top drill press and I still use it and it's a used one and I've had it for many years and it's, it served me well. Thing won't break, so I can't get a new one. <laughs> um, all right. How about you guy with the last one? The last one, if you're on a budget and you're going to be building lots of cabinets, I'm going to say a very obvious thing. Oh, yeah. Pocket hole jig. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Knew it. You need a pocket hole jig and some good clamps. Um, can I say two things? Oh, yeah, I guess. And get either a used or an inexpensive biscuit joiner. I knew you were going to say that too. So with those two things and all this other stuff we mentioned before, I mean, you could easily build some pretty darn nice cabinets. Yeah. I mean, I bet if you were bumped at the 3000, you could get almost everything that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. I'm pretty sure for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I started with a Harbor Freight drill press, one of the smaller ones. I mean, it was true. It worked great. Didn't have a lot of power, but I think it was like $79 and you can get like one of those 90% off coupons they always throw at people. 90%. Get that thing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when he was talk, he's talking about all this stuff, you know, he's talking about building cabinets and it sounds like a lot of cabinets. Here goes my dog again. Yeah. Abby, stop it. <laughs> you know, you're, what I'm thinking, like with that stuff, I'm thinking plywood, I'm yeah. thinking face frames, I'm mm-hmm. thinking drawer fronts, I'm thinking doors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all those things. You know, we've we've pretty much covered. He's got everything he does. He can buy the lumber and mill it. But, you know, a lot of the the lumber yards, they work with a lot of cabinet companies. Mm -hmm. And you can buy, you know, just call them and say, hey, I need maple face frame stock. Right. Yep. And they'll mill it for you. Yep. Usually not for that much more either because it, it, no, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty it's, cheap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll mill, they'll mill it up for you. You know, you can go pick it up and it's, you know, 13 sixteenths yep. of an inch thick. And uh, you can use that for all your face frames. You can use it for your drawer fronts. You can use it for your, your doors. You can use it for, cause it's not like cut to an inch and a quarter mm-hmm. or, or two and a quarter inches mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, it's, it's five, six inches wide. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, they have, they, and most lumber yards will have that stuff sitting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of guys want it. You know, they'll, yep. they'll call up and order a couple hundred board feet of it. Mine has pre-milled, uh, drawer sides too, half inch with yep. the groove already cut at the bottom. Yeah. 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 So if you don't have the money or, or if you can't find anything on Craigslist for a, a joiner and planer, you could go S3S and all the specialty material until you get more money. It's going to cost a little bit more, but to get up and running, you could definitely go that route. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Hope that helps, Casey. Let's go back to you, Hui. All right. This question is from John. He says, hey, guys, I'm in the process of building a shed, which will be my new workshop. It's going to be a 12 by 16. I will have full eight foot walls and a seven by five steel roll up door like the ones you see in the storage units. And it will be insulated. However, most likely not climate controlled for 24 seven. My main question is about lumber storage, since it's not it's, since it won't be climate controlled twenty four seven. Should I be storing the lumber in the shop or think about storing it elsewhere? Typically, well, I will only have on hand what I need for the current project or two. 
any suggestions on maximizing storage in this small space? It's kind of two questions there. But the first question was uh, uh, planning on storing it out uh, in the shed. I think it, it should be fine, especially if it's going to be insulated and you've got, you know, pretty, pretty decent garage door. Uh, for the most part, I think that's kind of how all of us are uh, storing our lumber in, in our workshops. And uh, our, I think all of our workshops are insulated. I haven't had too much issue with uh, drastic, drastic amount of wood movement, but just be aware that, you know, your wood is going to move. And if it's not uh, completely climate controlled 24 seven, uh, you're going to have movement uh, between uh, milling processes and, and, and whatnot. Um, wh what do you guys think? If you had a storage shed like this, you think you would uh, continue to keep storing lumber out in your, your insulated shed? Well, if I had no other choice, I absolutely would, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, in his situation, I don't know if he has any other place to store it. I don't think it would stop me from storing lumber in there. I may, depending on the situation, this is just me speaking without much information on this setup, but I may you know, possibly wouldn't have, you know, 200 board feet when I only needed 30, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if yeah. I stored lumber in there and it turned out it, it didn't affect it. And, I, and I'm using my same supplier and I'm getting the same material uh, quality and, and dryness. I would, you know, I would judge that first and just to see if he it's going to affect lumber. He is saying that he typically will only have on hand what he needs for the current project or two. So then, I think in that case, it's probably, uh, I think it, I think it'd be fine. He has no choice unless he wants to run to the lumber store and get a board every time he needs it. I, yeah. I would be, you have no choice. You have <laughs> I wouldn't no choice. store more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be fine. Yeah. Guy? Uh, I, I have a, a 10 by 12 storage shed in, in my backyard and I have toyed with the idea of cleaning out all the crap mm -hmm. that, you know, I've had for many years and just throwing it out cause I'm never going to use it again. Give me access to one of the walls so I can store my lumber out there. Mm -hmm. The only thing, you know, I'm not, and to be honest with you, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that sits there and wrings my hands and worries about the, the, the humidity and the, all that other crap. I just don't care. I just need a place to store it. Yeah. So uh, if I'm going to use it, I'll bring it inside and let it sit for a couple of weeks and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, what about his setup though? Like that is his shop. Yeah. That's kind of doesn't have a choice. Yeah. He doesn't have much choice. Yeah. yeah I like the fact that he's only getting enough for what he needs. You know, that's yeah. all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So the other question that he has is, any suggestions on maximizing storage for this small of a space? Now, I think for all of us, we're 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 storing lumber vertically, but that takes up a little bit of uh, floor space that mm, he might actually need. If so, in this sort of situation, would you recommend him putting up some storage racks for the lumber and possibly storing the lumber? Uh, I think it was you, right, Sean, that mentioned uh, storing lumber on edge. Somebody had suggested it, on edge on the storage racks. Was that you? Yeah. Sean? Yep. It was. Okay. Um, yeah, do you it think was. That, do you think that might be the best space? I think it might be a, maybe a possibly good solution for him. Obviously, he couldn't store a lot because you know, he just you know, he only has a 16 foot. I think that's the longest um, length on here that, that he's got for his storage shed. It's tough. I don't know if I can have much of a, an answer on this because it's like, you're going to either lose wall space or floor space. You can fit yeah. like I can fit a hundred, 200 board feet in a 
a, a space that's probably 18 inches wide on the floor versus if I were to put that much on the wall, you know, you're going to have several, uh, several shelves. I don't yep. know. That's tough. Yeah. Guy, yeah. do you got an opinion on that? Well, I, I use vertical. Yeah. I think mine comes out from the wall. I have probably about 300 board feet at any given time, give or mm-hmm. take 50. I probably have about 350, maybe 400 board feet right now. Anyways, it's about six feet long, maybe a little bit longer, but it only comes out from the wall like 18 inches. Mm-hmm. And I have machines in front of my lumber rack. Yep. Yep. So anytime I need to get lumber, I just wheel stuff out of the way mm-hmm. and I go back there and get it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of guys that'll put the lumber up a little bit higher and that way you, you reclaim your, your floor space. They'll put like joiners or whatever underneath there. Um, something that can be put up against the wall and still maximize that space. And, you know, you, know, you said, what, what can I do to increase the efficiency of my shop? Yeah, don't put anything in it. <laughs> um, the thing is, as woodworkers, we want to have... I know I'm like this. I, I think I can speak for you two guys too. We love tools. We love having all the cool stuff. We want to it's, have as many as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's our hobby. It's our passion. And you want to have that stuff. And it, it's really hard not to. I mean, I had a guy ask me today. He said, you know, um, so you got all these tools in your shop? I said, yeah. I said, I said two-car garage. And he says, do you have room in there? I said, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, I can't build anything big because I don't have room for it because I have so many tools in there. Yeah, but so, you've made some big things though, guy. Yeah, I know. But still, um, <laughs> it's a pain, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, so it really, it really goes back to what we talk about all the time. It depends on what you're building and how big this stuff is. Is yeah. the second question. So yeah. there you have it. And it, whether or not you want wall space or you want floor space. You know. Yeah. And it depends on what tools you have because in a, in a shop, any size, if you don't have enough floor space, you got to go up. You got to go on the wall. So if you got your lumber rack on the wall, that's going to take out 10 feet, probably one wall of the, of the and three. Don't, don't forget the ceiling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen people put, you know, wood racks in the ceiling, not in the rafters, but, you know, coming down where they can have, you know, boards in there, you know, like they've lost, you know, six to eight inches of their um, ceiling height. Yeah. And they put, you know, like metal racks and stuff in there to put the, put the lumber on. Yeah. So there's, you can do that too. That's something I'm considering for my new shop. I've got, I think I'll use 11 and a half foot ceilings in the new Mm -hmm. garage. So I've considered it. I've considered it. Doesn't make it simple to get to it, but let's no. get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it gives you a little bit of perspective. Uh, John, uh, Guy, you've got the next question. All right. This is from Mike at Sibley Manor Woodworks. He says, I'm writing about a project where we are making a table and using white oak for the first time. While most boards looked great throughout the milling process, we found that a few boards exposed a lot of very small short crack or voids along the rays. I've seen this a lot working with hard pine, which I have epoxied. 
How common is this and how do you deal with it? Thanks, Mike. So if he's saying raise, I don't know if he's necessarily talking about Quartason mm-hmm. or not. Now, I, I've worked quite a bit with, with regular white oak, and it does have splits and cracks and voids, but they're not big. And it actually, it's part of the grain pattern. Mm-hmm. So you can do a couple different things. The first thing is you can fill those with with epoxy if you want to. Um, that and if you're going to be putting any type of high build finish on it, like a polyurethane, let's say, if you don't fill those voids, that thick film finish will cavitate into those cracks Mm. and it'll look like hell. Mm. Um, So yeah, try to fill them up. If you're just putting, you know, I just built uh, my kitchen island out of white oak Mm -hmm. and it's got, you know, I I actually used a armor seal on it. Mm -hmm. I use armor seal. I use my own, you know, 50, 50 blend of, polyurethane and uh, naphtha naphtha which is basically the same thing as (laughs) armor seal not much different there uh and i put like three or four coats on it's got a good amount of protection and can you see the cracks yep Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's part of the it's part of the wood but then again that's not a tabletop either these are drawer fronts and cabinet sides mm-hmm. so at, what have you guys had any experience with this what about you Hui? yeah i have I, actually some of the drawer fronts on my uh, outfit assembly table are uh, stained white oak and they have cracks in them i did not bother to fill them now i have used but that's uh, also shop furniture correct I have used um, white oak in more, not white oak, excuse me, red oak, and it cracks as well. But I, I actually filled those with epoxy before I put a finish on them. But that's all I, I've done. That's the only other thing that I've, I've, I've done for it is just fill it with epoxy. I, I can't think of another thing to do to maybe alleviate the problem. If it even is a really, I mean, it's not a structural problem. You could use a grain filler or something like Timbermate. The only problem mm-hmm. is... Is that any finish that stuff will stick out like a sore thumb? I've never I've never used timber when made. You use, yeah. yeah. So so I've, it's it's not absorbent to to finish. Is that correct? Like it, it'll be a different color. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, even if it is over time, it's going to stand out. Like I have two cherry end tables that I had some issues with the dovetails, and you know because I'm not perfect, uh, <laughs> and I used the uh, the cherry timber mate, and it looked perfect. But obviously, as the cherry got darker, it and the timbermate stayed the same. It really mm-hmm. stands out. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, I'm just shocked at the whole "you're not perfect" thing. I, I don't know what to say. You don't have that. perfect. Well, no, no just I like, Sean isn't perfect. I always uh, my, just uh, at that. I didn't say everything else. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. No, I actually I I show my mistakes. My, my world is my world is better now. <laughs> yeah. I like to share my mistakes, guy. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not special. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've had the uh, the white oak issues. Um, 
just just fill it with the epoxy and i did have it where and i used tinted epoxy only because i used um india ink on the oak and i used black tinted epoxy mm-hmm. came out great obviously the grain doesn't match because you know it's a nice slick yeah. spot but it's better than having a hole sure yeah sure, sure. yeah well I, I said it's 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 kind of a the whole question it, there it, there isn't really a perfect answer for it because it's mostly has to do with with aesthetics yeah it's what you're looking for now if I was doing it see myself I don't like filling all those little tiny cracks and voids with epoxy mm-hmm. that's just me but if it was a tabletop I may consider it right yeah, definitely. But like drawer fronts or cabinet sides or anything like that. Nah, it's just part. Of, it's part. Of, it's part of the beauty of the wood. Yeah, yeah. Who's got the next one? I've got the last one actually. The this last one, from, one. The last one. This is from Trent. Hey guys, I love the podcast and what you're doing to help the woodworking community. About two years ago, I finished my walnut dining room tables. It was my first major project in years since my high school shop days. I learned a lot doing it, but as always, made mistakes. I made my table using breadboard ends, and I used Third Coast Craftsman's video as inspiration for the construction of my breadboard ends. After I assembled my table, I noticed small gaps between my top and breadboard ends. I was wondering if you could think of any ideas to fix those gaps. I appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Trent. Now, I'm not familiar with Third Coast Craftsman's breadboard video, so I'm not sure of the construction method, but... Um, you know, I do on my side have a couple of tutorials on. I have a video series where I made a blanket chest that had breadboard ends on the top. Uh, so I can only speak of what I did to fix this same issue that I had on mine. Uh, the, the main thing when you're doing breadboard ends is you need to do a test fit along the way. Test fit it, um, check for any gaps where the, the shoulders of the top meet the breadboard end. Mm-hmm. And if there's any gaps, use a shoulder plane to fix the the, the shoulders on the top where the, the tendon fits in and you retest it, f- refit it, use a shoulder plane, refit it until there's absolutely no gap between the breadboard end and the, and the shoulders. And the next thing that I do is I offset the holes for the dowels about a 16th of an inch closer to the shoulder so that it helps pull that breadboard in a little bit tighter. Yep. And again, test fit. And then you do the glue up, tap in the dowels, and hopefully it pulls everything nice and tight because again, you did your testing. Uh, but a shoulder plane is valuable when you're fitting breadboard ends in case for some reason, when you're cutting your tenons, it's the shoulders aren't perfect. That's going to help you clean that up. Now to fix this, it just depends on the size of the gap. I've seen similar fixes, uh, with something as simple as using a wax stick in the right color. Uh, that would blend it, blend in pretty well. Um, and I've even seen some folks, if it's a big gap, you can use, some sort of uh, veneer shims. I'm not a fan of that. I would have fixed it before putting it together. And I, I'm assuming this is the gap that you're talking about, not seasonal expansion where you're seeing the the top get narrower or wider than the uh, the breadboard ends. I'm thinking that you're talking about a gap between the breadboard end and the shoulder of the top. Um, mm. so I would use, it, I would probably, depending on the size of it, use maybe a wax stick to, to fix that and blend it in. Are you guys, if, if the, the gap is any bigger than that, 
Uh, do you have any other recommendations on how Trent could possibly fix something like this? Like you, Sean, I'm not a hundred percent sure of exactly where the gap is. It sounds like that there's, like you said, it's between the field of the table and the actual breadboard end itself. Mm-hmm. On the ends, it's it's not on the sides of the table where there's an expansion and contraction. Yeah. And as far as, you know, the, the third coast craftsman thing, I, I probably watched that video, but it's, he hasn't put any videos out for a long time, but I know Chris is a really, really good woodworker. So if he puts something out there, I probably, whatever he did, I can tell you, I probably agree with what he was doing. Um, That being said, to fix that, if it's, if it's not assembled and it's not together, I mean, you just have to finesse it, like Sean said, with a with a, with a shoulder plane or you know, a rabbit plane, whatever, um, and get that that gap closed. If it's already together and there's a, a gap there, I mean, a wax stick or a shellac stick that's a that's a pretty big thing to fill with something like that. I don't know. I mean, big gaps in furniture that's already there is always hard to take care of. You can try to put a piece of material in there if it's if it's wide enough that mm-hmm. has the same grain pattern as the other ring. It's kind of like a patch. Yeah, be hard yeah. though. Be hard. Yeah, because yeah, you'd have the grain would have would be uh, would right. have to be the same orientation. Right, yeah. right, and that's yeah. why it'd be difficult. Yeah, I, I can't think of really anything else. And unfortunately, I don't feel like I can add anything to the conversation that hasn't already been said. I will. Cool. We stumped. We. I will <laughs> mention. Yeah. I will mention one other fix. <laughs> this may. This is going to make the top a little bit shorter. Uh-huh. However, you could cut it right at the breadboards, cross cut mm-hmm. that sucker, mm-hmm. and use. No, never mind, because it wouldn't be a, a breadboard end anymore. <laughs> never mind. You could there. There are ways to use the domino and and uh, do that, but you would have to. It's too. Never mind. Cut that. Too much work. The the make a new top. If he's using the any method that Chris from Third Coast was recommending, I can guarantee it's it's tenons and their haunch tenons, and it's the whole. Yeah. traditional way of doing things. There's not going to be anything just like well, and easy about it. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's the technique is correct. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure what the referencing of the video has to do with it, but yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't did Maybe did he do a, a unique method of, no, I don't know. I no. think it's probably going to be a pretty traditional way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, so impressive. I, it's going to be very traditional. Yeah. yeah what, what you would expect. I know yeah. that wasn't a lot of help, was it? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I mean, maybe maybe not your answer, but mine was. Oh, well, wax well, stick. I, th- I, th- I think the big thing, the big takeaway, is is what Sean first said: is just fitting it and finessing it, and clamping it down, and making sure you get those gaps closed from the beginning. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. no going back on something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, there are other ways to fix other things, but. To do that, to fix this issue is very tough because you can't just, like I was going to say, it was wrong, but you can't cut it off and redo it because you got those tenants. Yeah. yeah. So you'd have to make a, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to do some, some trickery with that using loose tenons. And even then I don't even, you'd have to, yeah. 
it's a lot of work to fix. So that's why you got to get it right the first time and test it, test it, test it, test it, test it. Yeah. Or what you could do if it's, a, you know, it's obviously a, a tabletop, you just put a placemat over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a runner. Yeah. Yeah. Center. Put a runner over it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's the last question. Let's chat about what we've got going on in, in our shops. And I'm going to start with Guy. What about you? What do you got going on in your shop? Uh, lately, not a whole hell of a lot. I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out how I'm going to build my CNC machine. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to cut aluminum, which is, you know, half inch thick aluminum is going to be a treat. Nice and uh, slow, buddy. Work. What's that? Nice and slow. You can do it. Just nice and slow. Yeah, actually I've got a 10 inch, uh, like one of those 10 inch Rikon bandsaws. I bought a, a 10 TPI bimetal blade for it, and I bought a speed control adjustment for it mm. to get it down to below 1,000 RPM. The problem isn't it, – it's kind of like when you burn wood, but with aluminum, it melts. Yeah. And it gums up the teeth. So yeah. I'm going to try that. But uh, at work, I've been really busy. I've been, I've been building for the last couple weeks these – Big, massive hickory tables. Um, they're eight, nine, and ten feet. There's eight of them. And it's this really stupid design where the legs come through the corners of the top. Mm. Oh, yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. Yep. It's like the most stupid design in the world. And, it's, <laughs> and, it's, and plus, they're all made out of hickory. So these things weigh like three tons. The customer requested an eighth inch gap. Now I've built one of these before where the, the, the tabletop is flush with the legs all the way around, which was actually easier to do, but it's an exploding table is what I called it. Uh, but I don't get a choice in these matters. I just, they just hand me a work order and say, here, build these. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Huh. And you don't so, like that design? <laughs> no, I don't like the design. But but uh, what I really don't like is working with hickory. Hickory should be burned in in a fire. It should be firewood. It should mm -hmm. not be in a furniture shop. Mm -hmm. I, I just despise the stuff. It's heavy. It's stinky. It's got pitch in it. It's hard on your tools. It's just, mm -hmm. I just hate hickory. And I'm almost done with it. I glued up the last one today and... Uh, not Monday since it's Labor Day, but Tuesday I'll, I'll have it finished before lunch and I'll be done with it. You know, so, I've never used hickory and I've only heard bad things about it. Probably because there's nothing good to say. So <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of people out there that, of course, would disagree with me on that. But, um, you know, hey, it's my opinion. I'm allowed to have it. What about you, Hui? What do you got going on? Man, not much. Um, I did have a friend come over on the weekend and um, he had never used a joiner and planer before. And he just, he, before he went and got one, uh, he really, which he was getting one used. Like I said, over the weekend, he bought one used, but he wanted a lesson on how to use the joiner because he had never used it before. And so uh, he came over, we milled up all the material that he's building for a changing table. And, um, uh, explain grain direction and just have a little lesson with him on, on 
joiner safety and planing all the material down. We had a great time and talked a lot about his project. He kind of asked a couple questions about uh, drawer fronts and how he should sort of orient things. And um, yeah, it was it, it was a good time. Uh, so that's about all I have going on. I do have some stuff that I plan on doing this weekend to finish up this uh, some drawers for this bench that I've been building for like forever, but uh, hopefully get it done in the next couple of weeks or so. How about you, Sean? What do you got going on? I just finished up a walnut box. Um, it was a video that I made for bits and bits. It's actually my last video for them. Um, I made a, just a simple walnut mitered box, uh, but I CNC'd the lid panel and found a pretty nice design that I made a tool path out of. And, um, you know, made a nice CNC lid panel. I used bird's eye maple that I had left over. So, uh, sprayed with shellac and then, um, is that it, bits and bits it. channel or your channel? You no, it's going to be on bits and bits YouTube channel okay. sometime this week, perhaps. Um, but sprayed the shellac, a couple three coats, had a nice gloss sheen. I sanded it with a 400, buffed it and just a silky smooth finish. Uh, just a great looking box. Um, I'm going to be making more of the, boxes with a CNC lid. Huge, huge fan of how that came out and, and really makes it uh, makes it pop with the, the see-through design and nice. all that stuff. Yeah. What are you going to do um, with the box? Um, I'm not sure just yet. Or can I have it? But it may be spoken <laughs> for. <laughs> I asked for it first. Well, you got to... You got to I talk asked for to, it the day you posted the picture on Instagram. I said, can I have it? You got to talk to my nephew on that one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'll make you one. I'll, I'll arm wrestle him for it. <laughs> I'll make you like one. Because <laughs> you did give me a box, so I owe you a box. Oh, no, no, I don't. I'm just busting. I, I, hey, Sean, every time you make something, I ask if I can have it. Oh, no, and I'm, I know you're joking, but I'm I'm serious. You're I do joking. owe you. You gave me a really nice box. Anything. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe well, me anything. that's true. I'm, I'm your friend, so. That's right. But that's right. other than that, um, I've got, I'm still trying to continue the design of the uh, credenza, whatever you want to call it and trying to get back out in the shop. I need to do a lumber run and get me a couple hundred board feet of something. Um, because with cold time coming, I need some lumber to hold me over, but that's all that I've had going on in the shop. All right. I think that will do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. If you haven't, please go leave us one. It really helps in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. You can reach me at simplecove.com where you can share your projects and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. What about you, Hui? Where can you be found? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, how about you? I'm going to say my Instagram link, which is at Guy's Woodshop. You can go there, and I have links to everything else in my uh, uh, little profile thingy button. <laughs> He's also at guyswoodshop.com and at Guy's Woodshop on YouTube. All right. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. This is a fun one. We'll see you in a couple weeks. We'll see you. See you.